0: Hi, everyone. Before we get started today, we wanted to let you all know that we at SASMA have a community survey going out. We really encourage everyone who listens to the podcast to fill out this survey. That way you can get more relevant content and we can help serve the community better. You can find the survey at bit.ly slash survey. That's bit.ly slash SASMHA survey. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome
1: back to another episode of Brown Taboo Project from your friends at the South Asian Sexual and Mental Health Alliance. I am Shreya in New York.
0: I am Trish coming at you from sunny, not San Diego, but Santa Barbara this time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Swishing it up. Yes. Uh, today we have a really interesting episode. We're we're going to be talking about grief, which is not something we've actually ever tackled on uh, Brown Taboo Project, but it's also something. It's just an issue that's going to affect everyone at some point or other in their lives, and there's no real handbook um, on how to tackle it. So we're really grateful to our friend Minakshi Krishna, who's uh, joining us today. Um, She is a med student who is studying to become a psychiatrist, but I think one of the things that really drew us to her um, is her story on how grief affected her and her life and how um, she not only tackled it, but I think took that experience and turned it into a educational resource for others in her community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're really grateful that you could join us, Meenakshi. Could you share us, share with us a little bit about your story?
2: Yes, of course. So my name is Meenakshi. I'm from New York and i um, Two years ago, uh, a little over two years ago, actually, now my father was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And at that time, um, I had never experienced anything of the sort before. So I had taken time off from school and I was his caretaker navigating um, the hospital system, the US healthcare system, and also coping with grief for the first time in my life. And what's interesting about a chronic illness and a terminal illness, I think, um, is that many times the grieving begins when the person is diagnosed because pancreatic cancer is mm-hmm. about, you know, a 6% five-year survival rate. So we knew that there was a potential deadline, even though we held on to hope. Mm-hmm. And navigating my grief at the time he was diagnosed and even after his death was actually a huge challenge because I realized that there was a lot of a lot about grief that is not known in conventional therapy. And there's a lot about South Asian grief that is not very well known or addressed in conventional therapy. Mm-hmm. So, having gone through that, um, that was kind of where the birth and um, the, you know, this brainchild of my mantra kind of started about two years ago.
0: So, what to- is my, my Mantra, actually, could you walk us through? I think this is your organization that you helped found.
2: Yes, absolutely. So my mantra is um an organization and basically we provide culturally competent um emotional coaching at the moment. And we have goals of um onboarding, you know, therapists and psychiatrists onto a platform um eventually. But during COVID, especially, I realized that this was the first time many people in um, my close social circle and extended social circle were experiencing um, many, many emotions. With the escapism of going out, going to restaurants, being with friends all the time gone, people were forced mm-hmm. to just sit with their thoughts alone in a room, mm-hmm. and many come to me and be like we need to you know we want to go to therapy we want to do this and that and I was like yes I'll help you know let's work on this together let's find a good therapist let's find a good match but then when it would get to that step it was a either too expensive b um they felt like they couldn't find someone who understood my South Asian friends who really matched with their culture and c um there was there were so many moving parts that you know, trying to find a good fit was so difficult that they would just end up burnt out, discouraged, and would leave the process altogether. Mm -hmm. And all three things are also, um, I faced all three myself when I was going through my grieving journey, when I was experiencing grief, and, you know, um, all the aftermath of someone very close passing away from you. So my mantra hopes to kind of fill that void and create a platform that can address all three.
0: That's, that's amazing. Incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, it's funny when you think about like, you know, mental health is, especially when it comes to the South Asian community, there's still a lot of work that's left to be done. um, But it's incredible that we're kind of at that place, at least here um, in, in the U S or in, yeah, I guess in in our immediate community, right? Where we're now finding the gaps within the mental health resources that are available so that we can address those needs. Definitely.
2: So what I learned in um, conventional therapy is grief is something very, very nuanced. And what I was finding is that I actually went to three or four um, therapists, life coaches, emotional coaches, everything. And whatever I was getting, the responses I was getting, it seemed very much by a script and very, Mm. um, very much what I would read or what I had studied myself. And it wasn't necessarily what I needed. And um, Mm. I would end up spending about, you know, 25 minutes explaining what the role of my father is, what the role of a father is to an only child in an Mm -hmm. Indian household. Mm -hmm. And um, it became frustrating at some point because I was spending so much money, I was not getting the results I needed um, financially right. it was a burden emotionally it was a burden and finally, yeah. I ended up seeking some support um, in India actually, I went to and yeah. I got a lot of support there, and it was culturally sensitive, it was cost-effective, and um, it really, really helped me in my grieving process. I did the Art of Living course, I did some Isha Kriya seminars, Um, I worked with a a guru who was also uh, functioning as an emotional coach there, and Mm -hmm. I realized that um, I think what was the key in all of these experiences was the cultural competency and a greater understanding of grief, which um, I hoped to bring somehow.
1: That's amazing. That's fascinating. I don't think, I I mean, I certainly wouldn't have have thought to, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like the the, the origin of your culture would most (laughs) likely understand where you're coming from. Right. um, Yeah. There's something about, I think, the conversation around therapy, um, especially here in the West growing up, like growing up, therapy was always like something white people did. Yeah. Like something that Americans did. It's not something that like we need. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're dealing with grief or, or any other mental health issue. It's just not something that we need. Um, So to be able to go back to India and find the support you were actually lacking here
2: is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think it's really interesting because, so if we think back to grief, right? Grief, is not something that manifests itself very in a very straightforward, linear path. Um, It creeps up on you at unexpected times. And those moments can be very happy moments. So when I got into med school and when it was my white coat ceremony, it was Mm -hmm. one of the happiest days in my life. But it was also simultaneously one of the saddest days in my life because Mm -hmm. I so wished that my father was there. I could give him a hug. I knew how happy and how proud he would be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny because I was talking to another friend who recently lost um, his father. And he said the moment in which his grief really hit him was when he got um, a promotion Mm -hmm. and he just wished his father was there because he knew his father would tell everyone and anyone and celebrate. And that's the funny thing with grief. It hits you at the weirdest times yeah. and it's not very linear.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. My partner actually, his mom passed away around 10 years ago, very suddenly too. So he didn't really have time to prepare himself. And like, even, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years later, like we'll be watching a movie or something or like a TV show and there's like a scene and it just triggers. Um, the grief in him. Um. Mm-hmm. So that definitely checks out.
2: <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And it's also kind of a manifest. It's it's been so interesting because grief. I'm the biggest crier. I cry during kuch kuch hota Well, during, who doesn't? Somehow when this happened, I was numb. I could not cry for the longest time and I wasn't feeling anything. I was just going about my life as normal. I started med school and I was like studying for exams, hanging out with family, taking care of my um, parents. And I was like, what's happening? I should be feeling something. And then I realized I was like, am I grieving? And I was like, yes, I am grieving. Mm -hmm. Like all of this, just like blunting my emotional response, um, That in itself was grieving, and I think that is hard, you know, for people, or or it takes a very unique, I think, um, lens, even in therapy Mm -hmm. or even in emotional coaching to really understand that grief could be something as simple as, you know, not wanting to spend time with friends or going to family friend gatherings because you know those aunties are gonna ask you oh how are you feeling oh how are you feeling it's like right. I know how I'm feeling. Yeah. i don't want to tell you for the 10th time and i don't need this quote-unquote fake sympathy even though it is genuine yeah. but yeah. it's also in some ways kind of re rehashing revisiting the wounds and being like oh it must be so tough for you and your mother right now Constantly, yeah. when people say things like that, too, um, I think that brings another kind of response and another kind of anger, or feelings, or emotions, and that's also grief, right? Grief isn't yeah, necessarily right. sitting in a corner and crying.
1: Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's almost like we lack, um, or or just don't have, right? Like a a good understanding of of how to converse around grief like what language do you use what's the not etiquette per se but like like we don't know how to handle grievers and we also don't know how to handle grief and it's like the blind leading the blind almost mm-hmm. yeah
2: oh 100 um i think what's and this is where I like, do want to, I guess, take accountability for both ends um, is that I think a lot of times people who are grieving have some kind of resentment or anger. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, but no one knows what to say. No one knows how to be there for me. But conversely, on the other end, I don't think anyone also is trained or really knows how to be there for someone because each grief journey is unique. And I think everyone wants to be there for you. They want to care for you. I think everyone has the best intentions, but yeah. it's really hard to communicate when this, this whole process is so individual and so nonlinear that it's not like you can go up to someone and say, Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Because you know, saying that is, it's etiquette. It's nice, but then what happens after that? What do you do after that? How can you be there for someone after that? Right. No one right. really knows. And there's no like guidebook. Exactly. So I think it's hard for all parties involved.
0: Totally. Exactly. And um, I mean, actually, if you don't mind me asking, like what have you kind of noticed um, or like if you're able to to kind of talk about this, what do you think are maybe some like major ways that white people-oriented therapy overlooks the way that South Asians sometimes like envision of grief or the way that they experience it? Like, have you seen any like trends in particular?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it all goes back to the role of and family structure So I do think um, Western society is very, very individualistic and they see society is very, you know, collective. And I think the family Mm. unit for me at the age of 25, 26, um, my father was very much still a very integral part of my life. Um, Mm. It was, and especially being an only child. And I think that was something that was hard for them to understand, I think, in Western therapy that. You know, it's it's not just losing, you know, someone distant who may have supported me or provided for me till the age of 18. This was losing my best friend. This was losing Mm -hmm. like a sense of self. This is losing someone who I spoke to every single day, someone who made so many sacrifices. Right. I think it goes beyond that, -hmm. Um, especially as being a child of an immigrant, South Asian immigrant. He made so many sacrifices leaving his life in India to come here and essentially build a life for me, my mother, give me all these opportunities. And, yeah a huge part of everything I did was not out of pressure. I did proceed what I wanted to. I pursued my passion, which is medicine, but it was also a lot of my work ethic came from the fact that I know my father made these sacrifices and I want to live up to that and not having them, him there. When I finally had this big accomplishment, um, it had a different level of pain because of this.
0: Mm -hmm. Of course.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. This hits home because I, I also am an only child, um, and I my parents are like my definitely my two best friends. We're super super close, and this pandemic has been so hard because this is like the longest time I've gone without seeing them, mm. and they're also getting really old. And my my dad in particular has like tried to have these conversations where he's like trying to make sure I'm set up where he's essentially planning for after he's gone. And I am in physically enable, unable to have those conversations. Like I totally shut down. I've started crying and like, I don't usually cry. Like it, it's just such a weird reaction. And, it, and it's weird because I, I haven't even lost him yet. Right. But like just the thought of it, like completely paralyzes me and I think another part of being immigrant, especially when you're an, an, an only immigrant child or sorry the only child of an of an immigrant family is I mean actually, I don't know if you went through this, but I am so scared of when both my parents are gone and that like I don't I won't have anyone here yeah we have huge families, right but like you don't really have anyone near you. I don't know if that makes sense,
2: but um, oh oh hundred percent hundred percent. It's that fear, mm-hmm. it's that I think it's that fear of losing someone and um, relating to that, and um, maybe extending on that. It's also, I think, um, the fact that I don't know how necessarily you view friendships or how friendships were for you growing up, but I definitely have a very strong um, network of friends, but an only child your parents also are like your best friends, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not only losing a parent, it's losing a friend. It's losing almost right. like a sibling too, right? This mm-hmm. yeah. one parent fulfilled so many roles and um, that's definitely a difficult aspect. And especially in South Asian culture, I think a lot of times we grow up having, you know, challenges with our parents, right? Navigating, oh, of course. being part of this, like, you know, being a third culture child I think that's mm-hmm. what they call it yeah. but it's <laughs> about being half American half Indian or not identifying to either at times not totally I- sure. identifying with one at times and um, mm-hmm. uh, there are conflicts but at the end of the day there's this sense of respect I think towards parents and um, w- losing that is very very difficult it's it's a different relationship. And I think it's hard to fully explain, but in Eastern cultures, I think parents do play a very, very prominent role. Um, and losing them is it's not just, okay, well, you know, this grief may not hit you as hard as it may hit, you know, your mother. And that those are statements like that as children, well, you know, your mother is suffering more, or your mother lost a partner. You don't, and I do understand she lost a partner, um, yeah. but that doesn't mean that I am completely fine, and that right. this is right. grief for me too. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: exactly. It's also not like the grief Olympics.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it, like <laughs> grief is more significant.
1: Exactly. I mean, you said it yourself. Like everybody's grief journey is unique um, to that person, and so it's important for us to basically hold the space for for everyone mm-hmm. and then
2: also I think you mentioned before right what does someone say um mm. it's really funny because sometimes I felt like even in therapy no one knows what to say right. because this this overwhelming feeling of sadness and having a void is something that you feel on your own and in mm. in a way there isn't something that you can say but what I've found is that there are ways that you can channel it and that you can honor someone and remember someone. And that was something that I was definitely missing or lacking. And I feel like I still do in many, um, you know, conventional therapies. And that's why we on our platform have very specific grief, emotional coaching that can be a supplement to therapy is that there, there are ways to channel grief and keep someone's memory alive. Um, starting a project, you know, listening to certain music, having their scent um lighting candles in the house that reminds you of them and doing that in a way that is constructive i think can help keep that person alive and right. grief is something that i don't think a loss of something like this never goes away but it's something you can learn to live with and you can yeah. learn to kind of have a part of that person in you mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a question about grief um, and definitely in terms of like how my mantra, um, the different ways that it approaches it. Cause obviously there's the grief we all understand that comes with the passing of somebody. But I mean, I feel like one could also argue that sometimes grief occurs without death being involved. Um, my, my cousin and sister-in-law, for example, are, going through a divorce and um, you know, it was a marriage of like more than 15 years. They've been married for a very long time. And at at one point I, I was helping her move and she just like broke down crying. And it was like this grief of like the end of her marriage and like all of the memories of the good times and the bad times, there were some really bad times which obviously was why they were getting divorced, but there was, I mean, maybe it's a different like manifestation of grief, but it it definitely felt like grieving the end of something.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, even, I think you're completely hit the nail on the head that, you know, a loss is a loss right? even a divorce. And what I realized um, through grief is that, Essentially, I feel like part of what hurts and is so challenging in grief is that loss of identity. So be it Mm -hmm. a divorce, be it, you know, even a loss of a job, an end of a relationship, Mm -hmm. um, loss of a parent, you kind of lose some aspect of an identity. And if I do take it further, yes, my mom's grief is more significant because at the time of, you know, being a caretaker, she took a sabbatical from her job. She was a very um, career oriented Excuse mm-hmm. <laughs> me. Um yeah, bless you. Thank you. She was a very career-oriented woman and so that's one loss of identity, right? Losing mm-hmm. that aspect of her of her identity. Then the second mm-hmm. is she was a wife. Now she, you know, isn't doesn't have her partner. She was my father was her best friend. She was a best friend. Now she is not that person's best friend. And right. then, in the aftermath of grief, be it a divorce, relationship, whatever, now you're trying to regain those aspects of your identity and trying to find yourself and rebuild something, while simultaneously processing a loss. So it's this right. weird juncture where you're constantly trying to rebuild, but then you have this void kind of pulling you into it, and that—that um, that I found. That's how I uh, would describe grief. Totally. That
1: framing it in terms of losing a part of your identity is both heartbreaking and, like, definitely makes it a lot more easily understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and that's why I feel like in a lot of therapy, right, that aspect is not focused on. Is that okay? Yes, you you are rebuilding a part of yourself. But when you are rebuilding a part of yourself, there's always a fear in grief, um, a fear of, you know, not holding, losing the memory of this person, fear of forgetting this person. Right. And that is also a challenge. So then it's like, how do you cope? How do you how do you become brave enough to be happy again? Right. How do you choose to be happy again and have that? brain? Because it's a scary place because of all these pressures you want to stay in this place of sadness and you want to honor this person because it's like if I am not sad am I not honoring my father if I'm not sitting right. in this place of sadness and crying on this day at this time am I not honoring my father and this is where I think Indian stigma and in society comes into play is that there is there's so many people where and these statements now hurt me even more or trigger me it's like wow look at her she's already out partying and it's only been one month since her mother passed away or look at this girl she's doing xyz and it's only been this amount of time since this person's parent passed away or listen to her talk she's only like grieving the loss of this home Does she really Mm -hmm. care about whatever, whatever? And Mm -hmm. maybe at some point I would have engaged in the South Asian cultural gossip. But now when I take a step back, let's reanalyze all these situations. Maybe this person misses their home because that was a part of their identity. And it also represented that person's, um, you know, mother, father, whoever they lost, right? Mm. Maybe this person is going out partying because they really don't know what to do with their emotions. And they don't want to sit and sink in the sadness because it's an overwhelming amount of pain and they want to be able to do things that make them happy again. Maybe mm. they're planning a wedding a, like few months after the passing, because they want to hold on to some hope and keep this person's memory alive. Mm. Um, so I think that's a really interesting place in South Asian grief is how mm. do you balance lokskiapehengue with your mm, yes. actual grief, which is mm-hmm. not been here at all.
1: Exactly. Oh, we do a really piss poor job of balancing the two, (laughs) unfortunately. But that's when you said we need to be brave to be happy, that was that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. I mean, yeah, this this is awesome. I feel like I'm really learning so much about how to think about something that I really like twenty minutes ago would not have known how to to handle mm-hmm. yeah. or begin to understand. <laughs> yeah. And this is and, really just like the tip of the iceberg.
2: Yeah. It's an example the other day, um, sometimes I feel like my mother is um sometimes afraid to be happy and An example is we were driving in the car and I did this thing where, um, you know, I was listening to old Hindi music, Kishore Kumar, Mohammed Darafi, all of these artists I would listen to with my father. Mm -hmm. And I played it in the car and I started singing along and we were, I was joking around with her. And I could see in her eyes that she was tearing up. And I think... She was afraid to be happy for so long and sing along to these songs and engage and go with the flow. But Mm. then I held her hand and I was like, he's still with us. It's okay to smile in this moment. It's okay to feel happy. There's no guilt in feeling happy right now. It doesn't mean you love him any less. It doesn't mean you're thinking about him any less. He's still here with us.
0: Mm. Yeah. And that's That's a a very powerful feeling. Yeah. That's a very powerful feeling.
2: Yeah, And it's also okay to cry while you're laughing. It's okay to be so yeah. happy and miss someone so much that you cry a little. I think in a way, in a way, I, I talk about all this, like the collective we, but in a way, grief is something. Another way to think about it is how fortunate are the those who are sad after a loss, right? How Mm. fortunate are we? It's a privilege to be, you know, sad about losing someone who meant so much. Mm. Many people don't have the privilege of, you know, having a relationship so deep or so special to feel sad about it. And that's why sometimes I think about my grief and I'm like, I am privileged in many ways that I am so sad and devastated to have lost someone who loved me so dearly and gave me all these beautiful memories.
1: Totally. 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 It's really all about how we choose to look at the situation, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, like, how we allow ourselves to kind of reframe our thinking, which is yeah. a challenge oftentimes, especially when you do have this, like, emotional, you know, really, emo- like, difficult emotional, you know, situation that you're navigating through.
2: Mm-hmm. exactly and that you asked i think what was challenging in you know conventional western therapy for me mm-hmm. i think what was challenging is that in the first you know six months of bereavement i'd be like yeah i'm sad and this and that and the responses were always oh this is normal this is this this is that and i don't think that's necessarily what i was hoping to and wanted to hear mm-hmm. at that time or i don't know if that was the most um helpful or useful thing in the moment. I think, you know, yes, it is normal. Yes, it is that. But in a very safe space, I would love to explore those emotions further. I would love to, like, have a place where I can talk about my father and talk about, you know, everything I miss about him, everything from his cologne to the way he would pick me up to the way he would hold my hand and walk down the street or, like, sing with me, listen to music while drinking chai, All of these things were somehow um, just shoved under a rug and grief was focused on for five minutes and then it would jump onto relationships and like we would just start talking about my dating life and I'm like Mm -hmm. okay like that's cool but I do think I want to talk about grief and I brought this up a few times and it would never get revisited Um, and I know Mm -hmm. I'm rambling a bit here but when I Please, finally watched away. Never, <laughs> sorry, um, but when I finally watched Never, have I ever?
1: Yes, that
2: was so powerful for me because yes. right? The yeah. the therapist on the show is like, "Girl, you are dating so much and engaging in this behavior because you are trying so hard not to feel sad, and you don't realize it." And mm. now I think back to what I did when I was grieving, and I was like, "Hmm, sounds familiar." Except my therapist did not say that to me,
0: right? Which is crazy. It's kind of like, um, y- you know, it's very much like analyzing the emotion, but still like keeping distance f- from it. When like not everyone necessarily wants distance from that uh, emotion, and not necess- and it's not also necessarily healthy to keep such a strong distance from your from your emotions sometimes right
2: yeah yeah That's yeah amazing. Oh, hundred 100 it's it's like you look and then i thought back right um to see people who people are talking about yes that girl in the club who's going raging after you know a parent's death maybe that girl is also just does not have the hasn't been exposed or introduced to the right support system or the right outlet where she can express her grief. Because that's another thing. When you're grieving, there have been times when I have tried opening up to so many people and tried like all of this stuff and their responses have put me into a deeper state of grief um so once I was trying opening up to a friend and I was like hey I'm sorry uh I couldn't really attend these pujas or this or that um and you know I it reminds me of my father and then they're like well at some point you're gonna have to bounce back out of it because we're more scared to say what to say to you than you are about coming to these blue dozen events that's
0: whack Mm. that is so (laughs) crazy that you had to hear that
2: i might i actually felt a little dizzy in the moment i was like can we please change the topic so and then oh my uh, god there are other responses when you go to people and then they'll be like i was like yeah like i watched my father pancreatic cancer and then a loss is a loss by no means am I undermining a loss but I don't think the appropriate response to that is I lost my gra- grandfather who was not too close to at the age of 95 he also had pancreatic cancer it's like oh, please Lord. don't say that to me it's <laughs> I'm really sorry for a loss and I want to console you and comfort you in this moment but it's really no. not the same thing I lost my right. father in my early 20s <laughs> right <laughs> And I was very close to him. Um, So then I think it's this fear of talking to people um, and them not knowing what to say. Then you further internalize this grief. And it's um, once even with a relative who is very, very well intentioned. We were in a car and she was trying to talk about grief. And I think instead she became I, I was started to mention my grief and then she became so sad and is like, I wish we did this for him. I don't think this was done right for him. I don't think this. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I really think all of your thoughts and feelings are really valid right now. And I do know what I should be saying to you to some extent, but I started expressing my grief. And now I'm feeling even sadder because you're bringing all these other sad memories. Yeah, up. Right. It's the it's grief so
1: Olympics. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> who is sadder than who?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> like, it just really sounds like, it just really sounds like people really struggle to like hold space for someone who is grieving. Um, and sometimes at the detriment of that person right, even, like, the inabilities to, like, give them space and actually, like, let them feel and kind of engage with their emotions before going on to your own emotions, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sometimes it's just, it's just, it's so hard to describe. Sometimes you just want to drive in a car and scream. And I'm actually not driving in a car and scream. I've adopted as a coping mechanism, just driving in a car and listening to music and singing along very loudly, and listening to tunes that remind me of my father. And in that way, it's like, I'm letting out some of that emotion that repressed emotion. And sometimes I do end up crying, and then I'll park and cry and then continue on my way. But Mm. That has been a coping mechanism that has helped. A second one is um, I was in um, a warm place and we were going to a beach and suddenly when I went to the, I was overwhelmingly happy, I went to the water. And the water, I did my father's final rites in the Ganga in India. Mm -hmm. And the water, I feel like, you know, all water is connected. Somehow, somewhere, part of him is part of Earth. And when I touch the water, I feel like I'm touching him. Just started Mm -hmm. crying on this beautiful beach. And it's okay. I, I stepped away from my friends. I spent, you know, an hour sitting there. And I was like, I'm connecting with my father in some way. And there's something that represents him. And there's something so special about this moment in which I'm able to feel Mm -hmm. his presence um, and feel like something represents him. And I told him everything. They say that you should write letters to the ones who have passed away, right? Talking about what you want to tell him. In that moment, I was able to speak to him. And that was a powerful, powerful moment for me and a way of coping and grieving that I keep near and dear to my heart.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing this with us. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's by you sharing, which I mean, in and of itself is like pretty courageous thing to do. Um, Like you're being really vulnerable with us. And our hope is that somebody listening is in a similar situation and they can take like a lot of strength from knowing that there's someone else out there who's going through this um, maybe they'll be like, oh, I'll try driving in a car and listening to, you know, their favorite music. Um, I, and there's just, there's a real power in what you're doing and also just by sharing your story. And so we're, we're just really, really grateful to you. Yeah. For taking, and
2: thank for you guys that. so much for having me. And, um, I know this is just the tip of the iceberg, but, totally. um, If there's more to talk about grief, I I would love to talk about grief in the South Asian space and um, even a little bit more about how we, uh, you know, my mantra um, help cope with grief and go through different processes um, because there's just so much. And I think it's it's a really difficult time where no one knows what to do. I think everyone is so confused that it's almost Mm -hmm. sometimes um, almost comical being in the situation, being like, well, hi totally no to to i don't know <laughs> what to say to you <laughs> i go to therapy it's like i don't know what you you don't know what to say to me i don't know what to say to you <laughs> <And I'm struggling laughs> that. but um hopefully we can create spaces where people you can never know what to say but we can at least try to get close
1: totally mm-hmm. so how can people stay up to date on on you or, or my mantra if they want to find out more about my mantra where can they go
2: yeah, so um I've been starting to do a little bit more on grief on my own um personal page. I've also uh gained uh certification and meditation training, so I try to incorporate that and that's at Nita's mantra on Instagram. Um if people want to find out more about my mantra they can visit mymantrawellness.com or go to mymantrawellness on Instagram, and um, we have resources there. And the way our program works is we have one free 30-minute um, call, then we have one free hour-long session with someone, and then um, we then we go through the process and match people with culturally sensitive and uh, aware resources.
0: Amazing. Well thank you so much Meenakshi I think um I think that you know this has been a really wonderful episode and we'd love to have you again actually I feel like yeah, you know this this topic is something that we really that there's so much to talk about and so much that honestly is to some extent like a brown taboo you know it's something that is not really talked about that much and and we'd love to really um you know continue this conversation in the future
2: Yes, I would absolutely love to. And thank you guys so much for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on.
2: Thank yeah. you, guys.
0: So if you um, really enjoyed what you heard today, if this also brought up something for you, or if you um, have any topics that you'd like us to to talk about in the future, um, whether related to grief or not, definitely you can find us at, at South Asian SMH on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, you can also reach out to us on our website www.sasma.org. That's dot org. Um, and if you'd like to uh, slide us a little bit of money, help support our work, you can find us also at paypal.me slash sasma. That's s-a-s-m-h a sasma. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will catch you all next time. Bye. Bye. Yay. That was amazing. Okay. (laughs) That was a really
1: good conversation. Let me stop recording.
0: Yeah.